All right, so I chose this picture for Mother's Day. I did this last time. I chose this picture for Mother's Day because uh, that's what my mom used to look like whenever she walked in my room as a teenager, uh, the big eyes. So happy Mother's Day to you. Um, when we sing at Christmas, sometimes we sing Away in the Manger, and there's this line in the song that says, The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a lie. You know, it's like every child cries. It's sort of this idea that Jesus, you know, didn't do kid things. He did do kid things. But today we're investigating this claim that he makes, and he makes these audacious claims. He claimed that he had never sinned. And it is a remarkable claim because we know people. In fact, most Americans, I don't know if most is not true, about 50% of Americans don't believe that Jesus never sinned. Now, he said this. He said, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Can you prove it? The, the implied answer is you can't. But about 50% of Americans, 42% actually to be accurate, uh, don't believe that Jesus is or was sinless. 50-something percent say uh, they, don't, uh, they, they think he was sinless, and there are a few that just don't even uh, know. So... If Jesus was sinless, it would make him quite unique. So mothers, I'm glad you're here today. You, you know how a baby looks at you when, when they're little. They know your voice. Uh, when they're little bitty, in fact, there's research done about this. They, they can tell your voice even in the womb. I don't know how they test that, but you know, I guess somehow they figured that out. And, and there's, a, there's a moment in time, moms, you're going to know this. There's a moment in time where your kids get to a stage where um, they... It feels like they stopped listening to you. Anybody? Okay. Can I get a witness? Uh, I mean, yes. So Stanford Medical School, School did some research on this. They uh, plugged kids' uh, brains into MRIs. They did MRIs on these kids. And, and they watched their brain patterns. And this is really interesting. They found that teenagers' brains start turning out, tuning out their mother's voices around the age of 13. So it goes from this to that uh, at about age 13. Like, yeah, you can kiss me, but I'm not going to like it. And, and so maybe one of the most remarkable things about Jesus is this. He was a teenager, and he didn't sin. If that's true, that would probably be the second greatest miracle right after the resurrection. Because... We either have lived with teenagers or we've lived through our teenage years and we know what it's like to be youthful and to, to be, um, to sin. The, the Bible tells us that we've all sinned. Now, sin's a part of every person's spiritual DNA. You don't have to look long into somebody's life. In fact, Jesus, when he makes the claim, can you prove that, there, that I have any sin? None of us would ever say that. I might qualify it. Can you prove I haven't sinned in the last 10 minutes or the last 15 minutes? Maybe. Maybe you could do that. But Jesus was saying, can you prove to me, can you prove, can you show any proof that I've ever sinned? All right, now think about the magnitude of that. In the Old Testament, they have the law. The first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch, the uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law is there. That's where you find the Ten Commandments, but there are other commandments, 613 total commandments. And so Jesus is saying, can you prove that I did or broke any of those? Did I ever do something I wasn't supposed to do, or did I ever not do something I was supposed to do? He, he is making this 
this blanket statement that none of us would make. Look, when I look at my body, I, I know how I got here, right? I know why I'm in the shape I'm in. Hard work and a disciplined life. Uh, you know, I know why I'm where I am. Well, there's a reason that we sin. It's called a sin nature. Uh, this is a guy whose name was Paul. Paul writes this, one of the greatest Christians who ever walked the planet. He starts churches. He's, uh, he's uh, beaten for his faith. I mean, this guy suffered for Christ, and yet he writes, I don't understand myself at all. I've never really considered getting a tattoo, but if I ever did, I think that might be what I put on my body because it speaks to me. I don't understand myself. And then he goes on. Uh, I really want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very things I don't want to do. You ever, have you ever experienced that? Just this week, I'm in traffic. I'm on Wade Hampton. Wade Hampton's right here. Uh, I'm up at the first stoplight, which is Reed School Road. I'm in the left-hand lane. There's a, a truck, kind of a monster truck in front of me, a big truck. It might have been a Jeep. I don't know, some big tall thing. And I'm behind him. And we're at the red light, and the guy just keeps rolling into the intersection. He's ro rolling into the intersection. Nothing's coming. I mean, it really didn't matter. This annoyed me to no end. Now, quick question. His rolling into the intersection, how did that affect me exactly? No effect. <laughs> Didn't matter to me, honestly. It really shouldn't have mattered. So I needed to prove a point. Uh, you know, uh, inter internally, I'm like, um, maybe not. Maybe. Then, but then I heard the voice of Jesus, uh, and uh, I knew there was something I had to do. So the light turned it was like I was at a, a drag strip. I took out, you know, and I, I get, get over, and I get in front of him, and I pull in front of him. Uh-huh. That'll teach him right there, right? Then I got to thinking, if a guy will roll through an intersection illegally, what other illegal things is he might possibly doing? I don't know, shooting somebody that uh, uh, you know, got in front of him? Now I'm nervous as a cat. I'm thinking, oh my, what, am I, what have I done? I'm thinking about Miriam. How would she get along without me? <laughs> and then it was like, no problem there. Uh, I was like, okay, well, Elise, Elise probably needs me. Like, not really. Uh, then I thought about you, uh, my congregation. And then I thought, you know, they'll replace me by Sunday. Uh, so, uh, uh, but what, here's what's really funny about that whole thing. I did that. I don't do all the stuff I think about doing. There's a lot of stuff I think about doing. I mean, I think there are things I know I shouldn't do. I kind of knew I shouldn't do that. This is why I love this verse, because it is my verse. I don't understand why I do what I do sometimes. I, I kind of know why. There's a thing in my life called a sin nature. And I'm, I'm a pastor, and I know better, and somebody might have been watching, and the guy in the truck might have been one of us. In fact, it probably was. Uh, you know, uh, might have been Tim Kemp. You know, it might have been somebody. You know, I don't know. Could have been anybody. And I, I knew not to do it. I knew it. I mean, it was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And I did it. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, I know better. I, I know better. I don't understand. Have, have you ever wondered about 
worms and apples. I always thought the worm kind of bored his way into an apple. But from what I understand, when, the, when, when these are blooms, when they're just blooming, uh, an insect will lay an egg in the blossom, and then the apple forms, and the egg is inside the, the apple, and it hatches, and it eats its way out. Internally, we have this sin nature. It's in there. Now, there's this kind of debate around it. In fact, again, back to Paul, this guy who writes all of these things, says all have sinned. He, he, like, he leaves nobody out. All have sinned. And then he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and, the death, came, and death came through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. And there's this debate around where did sin nature start? Like, how, how do we get it? So let me give you a couple of theories around it. One is this. It comes through our physical DNA. So if Jesus was sinless, this is how they get around that. What they say is the theologians, and they're smarter than me, but the theologians will say, okay, well, uh, Jesus got his humanity from Mary, (laughs) and he got his sin nature through the Father. The, The theology is the sin nature comes through the Father, Ladies, that's for you. Uh, so uh, now it, it's it's sort of consistent with things you see in Scripture. Surely I was sinful from birth. Uh, David writes this: sinful from the time my mother conceived me. H- however, the the one kind of drawback of this one is that that would mean when Adam sinned and when Eve sinned, their DNA changed because they weren't they weren't created with a sin nature. So there are other options. The second option is this. Uh, it's spiritual, not physical. Our, our sin nature is a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, you have Adam and Eve, and they don't have a sin nature, and then they sin. They, they're tempted. And they're tempted, and they decide to give in to that, and all of a sudden their spirits are, are changed. I think that makes sense. And then this one really intrigues me. I've really never thought about this too much. You can have a sin nature and still not sin. So the inference is Jesus might have had a sin nature and not acted upon it because you don't have to act upon it. In fact, it kind of goes really well with things like Hebrews 15 that says, 4.15, For we have a high priest. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are. So sometimes I give in to temptation, and sometimes I don't. What this text is saying is Jesus was tempted just like you, just like me, same temptations. And you might be tempted differently than I am. You know, you might be tempted by... Uh, eating fondue. You know, I'm never going to be tempted to eat fondue. It's cheese, not going to eat that. You know, it's not, so I'm not tempted to eat fondue. You might go, oh, fondue. Uh, your temptation might be, um, I'm going to watch uh, this movie. And I like, it doesn't tempt me. My temptation, it might be different than yours, you know? So we have these different temptations. Well, here's the deal. What this says is that Jesus was tempted just like us, and yet he didn't sin. And then there's another text that says we don't have to either. Those who have been born in God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life, his seed, is in them. We can be tempted and still not sin. 
You have a sin nature. My nature might be towards sin. Look, I didn't have to jump in front of that truck. I didn't have to. I could have chosen not to. We, we choose what we do. We have the choice. We just do. And I've been in ministry a long time. I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad took me to Sunday school and church and training union and church at night and Wednesday night. And I was in church my whole life, five times a week. And then we had revival. We went every night. I know all about church. And then I... Uh, you know, got graduated high school, and I went to seminary, and, and I have degrees, and I've studied, and I know things. But I, there's still a lot about God I don't understand. And I found a verse that I'm going to kind of start leaning into, and I like it a lot. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. There, there's stuff that I just don't get, and I may not ever get. And I can study it... And, and if you've ever, if there's like a, a difficulty, um, let's, let's take infant baptism, or let's take a baptism that saves you. There are, some, there are some denominations that teach that for you to be saved, you have to be baptized. We don't believe that as Baptists. We believe that, uh, like I said before, that you become a believer. We believe in believer's baptism. That's what you find in Scripture. However, the people that believe that... I, I read verses and I go, well, yeah, I mean, it could be that. It could be. Maybe. But here's what I like about the rest of this verse. We're not accountable for them. There's debatable stuff. You're not accountable for that. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the, the terms of his instructions. The thing I know about it is this. I don't always get 100% of what God is doing. I don't know. I don't know how the sin nature happened. I don't know how it happens. I don't know if it's physical, if it's spiritual. I don't know. But what I do know is this. Jesus said, uh, you can die in your sins. I said that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. It is possible for a person to die in their sins. It's possible. And I know, again, I, I have this propensity to do the wrong thing. When our oldest daughter, Amaris, was 11 years old, she played in the boys' baseball uh, league, the minor leagues. A girl playing in the boys' leagues wasn't common, but she was a pretty good athlete. And so one game, she pitched, and she was the pitcher, and she pitched for three innings. She faced nine batters, and she struck out seven boys. <laughs> uh, uh. Now, I was tempted to walk down the, you know, the fence row in front of you know, the other side's fans, say something like, <laughs> your boy got struck out by a girl, you know, and it was my girl, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't do it. I didn't, you, you don't have to give in to all that stuff. But here's the thinking around all this. All right. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. He claimed humanity. So if Jesus is human, and Paul says all humans have sinned, how did Jesus not sin? Or how can he even claim it? Or what evidence is there that that's true? Because that would make him unique, right? He would be the only one ever. Because I don't think any of us in this room, like Jesus said, can you prove that I've sinned? Look... 
If I was in a court of law and the lawyer uh, that was uh, accusing me, uh, if, if he needed to draw up, uh, if he needed to get witnesses against me, he would have no trouble. From my past, from my present, no trouble. But Jesus says, can you prove that I haven't sinned? So let's look at the evidence. Well, first, Jesus claimed to be sinless. That's the whole verse. The verse says, can you accuse me of sin? Can you prove to me that I've sinned? If you can't, why don't you have faith in me? After all, I'm telling you the truth. Can you prove it? Can you accuse me of it? You can accuse me of it, but can you prove it? And then just later than that, he says, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has, he has not left me alone. I always do what pleases him. That is being sinless. If you and I always do what pleases God, then that's when we are sinless. We know what sin is. We, we intuitively know you, you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal, you don't wear white after Labor Day. I mean, there's stuff you know, right? You don't cheer for a team that has the devil in their mascot. I mean, you just don't. There's stuff you know not to do. But, but Jesus is making this claim, I have never sinned. Now, look. If I'm on the witness stand and there's an accusation against me, there's a really good chance I'm going to claim my innocence. Well, this isn't exactly what has happened here. Because Jesus is saying, look, I haven't sinned, and if I have, prove it. Jesus makes the claim. But there's more. He's got friends who testify that he has never sinned. I mean, I'm going to show you a couple of verses they are, they are startling when you think about it. All right, so Jesus had, a, he had his 12 disciples, and he had an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. We have two of them here that have written. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. John Again, one of the inner circle, one of the inner three, one of Jesus' closest friends, testified Jesus came to take away our sin, and there is no sin in him. Now, you and I, we get together, and we get to hang out for an hour a week, right? Uh, I see you, you see me, I think about you, you're very fine people. Uh, you probably think the same of me. We don't know one another really well. It's an hour a week, right? I can know you as much as I can know you in an hour. Some of you are in a small group with me, and, and so we'd have maybe another hour, two hours a week, and we would get to know each other, kind of. Some of you in this room have been on mission trips with us, with me, and so I would know you a little better because I've seen you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Well, Peter and John, they are with Jesus all the time. The, the rabbi-disciple relationship was not an hour a week, not two hours a week. It was mission trip all the time. They were always together. They ate together. They slept in the same room together. They traveled together. They were always together. And here's what I know. Eventually, if we were together long enough, I would begin to see the cracks in your armor. And if you were with me long enough, you would definitely begin to see the cracks in my armor. We could put up a front for a while. We might be able to put up a front for a long time. 
But eventually you begin to see the, the divots, the problems, the warts. You just do. Now, I began to think to myself, okay, well, when are times when I'm most likely to, to commit a sin? When, when am I weakest? Well, I'm weakest when I'm tired, fatigue, stress, disappointment. Uh, those are the three for me that are probably the, the triggers. that it's, it, I find myself falling into sin most easily when I'm in one of those situations. Okay, so Peter and John were with Jesus when he was stressed. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he was so stressed that when he prayed, he sweat drops of blood. Now, I've been stressed before. I've never been that stressed. They saw Jesus when he was disappointed. In fact, one of Jesus' greatest disappointments was because of Peter. He denied he even knew him. I mean... If there was ever anyone who could speak to Jesus being disappointed, it's Peter. They saw Jesus tired. They saw him disappointed. They saw him stressed. There was one time Jesus was so tired, he said, let's get away. I need to rest. And all of a sudden there was a crowd of people and Jesus just stepped up and he, and he, and he, and he did ministry. Even though he was tired. I'll make a guarantee to you. If you saw me stressed and fatigued and disappointed, you would see me sin. It may not take those three things only, but if you're with me long enough. Yet these two guys who were with Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they walked with him. It's called, they would walk so close to him, it was called uh, gathering the dust of the rabbi. They would, they would walk so close to him because they wanted to hear every word he had to say. If you were a disciple, you wanted to be just like your rabbi. You wanted to say the things he said. You wanted to think the way he thought. So rabbis, there's these, there are these stories about rabbis, and they would, they would go into the bushes to relieve themselves, and the disciples would kind of follow... Because they wanted to hear what the dude said when he was relieving himself. And there were prayers around this. Lord, thank you that there are orifices in my body where things can come out. And they would pray this. And they would learn this from their rabbi. It's a little indelicate, sorry, but that's kind of how it was. And these are the guys, they would listen to Jesus, they would be with Jesus, and they're the ones who are giving testimony he never sinned. They claim he never sinned. Now, how long would it take if somebody went to your hometown, to your uh, past, when you were a youth, how, many, how long would it take for me to find someone if I did an investigation to say, oh, uh, did that person ever sin? Because I can tell you this. If you go to Danville, Kentucky, my boyhood home where I grew up, it wouldn't take you long. You'd hear words like hellion, you know, uh, a mischief maker, you know, stuff like that. Bad seed, you know. Uh, you'd hear stuff. It wouldn't take you long. And, and then if that wasn't enough, there's Paul. Paul didn't know Jesus uh, in the flesh as much as these guys, but he certainly had a spiritual relationship with Jesus. And he says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. Over... And over and over, you see witnesses testify. Jesus' friends 
testify of his sinlessness. Now you're thinking, okay, well, Jesus claimed to have no sin, and his disciples, his friends agreed. What about his enemies? Well, they couldn't refute his claim either. In fact, they tried. Now, have you ever caught somebody in a lie? You know, they, you, they say something and you're like, that's not true. You know, you kind of, yeah, that's not true. This one guy went into his office and he tell, tells his boss, he said, I'm going to need a raise. There are three companies after me. And the guy's a little skeptical. He goes, well, what companies are after you? And he said, well, the gas company, uh, the mortgage company, uh, the electric company. Sometimes you get caught in a lie. So if Jesus hadn't sinned, look, look at a couple of texts. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin. So this is a bunch of guys. They, they were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Again, look at this one. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. A teacher, they said, we know you're honest. You're impartial. You don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. We know this about you. In fact, if you read about the death of Christ, the, these religious leaders were, they were willing to bribe someone to lie about Jesus just so he could be executed. It's been said, if you have the evidence, you don't need to lie. You want to know who said that? Me. Uh, if you have the evidence, you don't need to lie. If you quote that, I'd like some credit. Uh, that's, why, that's why I'm telling you. So, anybody else? Yeah, there's one more person. It's a guy named Pilate. He was an experienced, trained investigator. And four times, four times, if you read the book of John, there's a series of interactions between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate has this conversation with Jesus. He sends him away, has him beaten. He brings him back. Four times, four times, Pilate says this very thing. I find him not guilty. Over and over and over and over. This trained investigator, he was a judge, but he also, I mean, it's not like somebody was presenting a case. He had to look at it for himself. Pilate examined the evidence, and he says, it says he found no evidence. I find him not guilty. So Jesus makes this claim. His friends substantiate the claim. His enemies can't refute the claim. And Pilate eventually affirms the claim. Jesus lived a sinless life. Which leads to the next question, which is, so what? I mean, what good does that do? It's great, but what does it do for you? What does it do for me? Well, glad you asked. In the Old Testament, God establishes a way for our sins to be forgiven. It's called the Day of Atonement. Once a year, there was a sacrifice made for the entire community. An innocent animal was sacrificed so that everyone else might be saved, might be forgiven. So it's all found in Leviticus 16. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. So if you read this, this is how it goes. There are two goats. They pick two goats. They have to be perfect, ble uh, bl uh, blemishless, if you will. Uh, no, no blemish. One goat is sacrificed. The other is set free into the wilderness. You know this language. He's called the scapegoat. One is sacrificed. His blood is offered as a sacrifice. The other one is set out into the wilderness. He is the scapegoat. They would do this 
every year. The scapegoat removes the sins, kind of the imagery, the, the sacrificed goat would be for the forgiveness of sin. Now, people will say, well, why sacrifice an innocent animal? What, what, what did they do? Which is the whole point. Something perfect and innocent is sacrificed for one who is imperfect and guilty. A perfect, innocent sacrifice is offered on behalf uh, to, to take, uh, take the sin of someone who is guilty and imperfect. This was the system. And the animal had to be as perfect as possible. They had to do it every year because animals can only be so perfect. And then you have Jesus. And he offers this sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, a guiltless sacrifice for those who are imperfect and guilty. And it makes a lot of sense. Back in the day, Ivory Soap, they advertised that they were 99.44% pure. That was their ad. And then they would say, it's so pure it floats. I don't know what purity and floating have to do with each other, but evidently that's a big deal. 99.44% pure. So the idea was, okay, well, it's really, really pure. You should use our soap. But then some researchers began to look at, okay, if everything worked at about a 99% percentage of efficiency, what would that mean? Let me read a couple to you. That would mean your drinking water would only be safe um, most of the month. One hour a month, it would be unsafe. It was 99% uh, pure. Two planes would crash land in Chicago O'Hare Airport every day if they were 99% efficient in the tower. Of, there would be 500 botched surgeries each week. 20,000 prescriptions each year would be misprescribed. So you don't need 99% accuracy you need 100% accuracy. Jesus wasn't 99.44% pure. He was pure. He was a sinless sacrifice offered for sinful people. That's the way it had to be. It was a perfect sacrifice for imperfect people. Now, when it says the wages of sin is death, we think to ourselves, okay, but I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And I would say most of you, probably all of you, are really good people. Here's what I know. If I'm doing 85 in a 55 zone and a police officer pulls me over, I'm going to say, dude, give me a ticket. I mean, I, I deserve a ticket. At, at 85, if I'm 30 over the speed limit, can you make it like not 30 over? So my only argument is going to be, or my only request is going to be, can you keep me out of jail? You know, because uh, I am really, really, uh, I'm really, really over the speed limit. But if a police officer pulls me over and he says, dude, you were doing 56 and a 55, I'm going to go, come on, man. What is wrong with you? I won't say this out loud because uh, uh, I still get a ticket, but I might try to talk him out of it. Look, if I'm way over, okay. All right. Give me a ticket. I mean, I deserve a ticket. But if it's just a little bit, if you're playing a game, and, and let's say you're playing baseball, and they beat you by 15 runs, you tip your hat and you go, man, you're better than us. You're just better today. You're just better. But if they beat you by one run, and the umpire called a balk, and it wasn't really a balk, or you didn't think it was a balk, well, now all of a sudden you're going to argue, right? If you get crushed, it's like, okay. Get crushed, okay. But if it's close, it's close. So... The problem with this verse is there's no qualifier for the wages of, we want to say the wages of 
a lot of sin, copious amounts of sin, egregious sins, really bad sins. If you're a mass murderer, if you're, you know, uh, if you're a, a serial adulterer, then yes, if you're a sex trafficker, okay, the wages of that sin is death. That's big sin. That's a lot of sin. But it doesn't say that. It just says sin, any sin, all sin. There's no qualifier. And if the verse ended there, we'd really be in trouble. But it doesn't end there. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. A perfect sacrifice for an imperfect people. This is why Jesus living a perfect life is so important. That's why his sinlessness is so important. So Peter is giving this sermon way back, 2,000 years ago. And he says, my friends, here's what I want you to know. This is the most important thing you're ever going to hear. I announce to you that your sins can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Through him, everyone who believes is set free. You, you can, you can uh, employ a perfect sacrifice for your imperfect life. You, you have this opportunity. There's a comedian named Jerry Clower back in the day, and he, oh, you know, he did that stuff and kind of southern. He's from Mississippi, and he talked all Mississippi. That's my Mississippi voice. And uh, he talked one time about this, uh, this mother, and she had 16 kids. This kind of old country woman had 16 kids, and they lived near a construction site. And one time she couldn't find her youngest son, and so she's roaming around. She's trying to figure out where he went, and she goes over to the construction site, um, Heather, this reminds me of your boys. Uh, goes over to the construction site, because this is like this is what they would do. Uh, goes over to the construction site, and she finds him. Uh, this kid has fallen into uh, a, a barrel of tar. They were, you know, tar in the roof. And he's got tar head to toe. And the mom pulls him out, <laughs> and she says, Boy, it'd be easier to have another one than to clean you up. <laughs> and I think to myself... I wonder if God ever <laughs> pulls us out and goes, boy, it'd be easier to have another one than just to clean you up. I want to end with two questions because they're the questions that Jesus asked. First, he says, can you prove me guilty of sin? Well, his friends claimed that his enemies couldn't prove it, and even a trained examiner couldn't find any sin this, and this is what we're going to end with. He said, if I'm telling the truth, then why don't you believe me? And ultimately, that is the question that we all have to resolve in our minds. If he's telling the truth, why don't we believe him? <laughs> Jesus lived a perfect life so that he could offer a perfect sacrifice. So that we who live an imperfect life can accept perfect forgiveness. Because we'll never be perfect enough. We might be 99.44% pure. It's just not enough. It took a perfect life to offer a perfect sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... This day, thank you for all you do for us, for how much you love us, for the sacrifice you gave to us. I pray that 
you would guide us, help us, show us what we need to do. Help us to accept our own flaws. We've fallen, Lord. We need help. Help us to accept the help that you offer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.